I'm Daniel Frey and this is the Daniel Frey.me Talks, a podcast for anyone who wants to become or is already a developer. If you like to stay up to date with different technologies, learn from experts in the field and help you improve your career further, then this podcast is for you. I also invite you to follow us on DanielFrey.me. So let's begin. So hey Benjamin, it's uh, nice to have you here in the show. I've been looking forward to, to talking to you. Uh, so maybe uh, you know to get to know you um, and the audience will get to know more about you. You can start with a small introduction about yourself. Um, tell me where maybe how many years of experience you have, uh, what do you do now, and uh, just uh, some information a bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, I'm Benjamin Grinbaum. I uh, I live in Israel, in Elcelia, with my wife and my dog and my baby, uh, who is a big part of my life now. Uh, I work for Microsoft uh, on uh, developer tooling and uh, front-end infrastructure, uh, mostly, also some other stuff. Uh, I've been coding for like... Uh, I don't know so how long, like many, many years since I, I've, I've been working as a programmer since I was 13. It was my first job. Got totally ripped off, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, been coding ever since. So I guess it's like 20 years around that much. Uh, I'm getting older. Never mind. Uh, other than that, uh, I do a bunch of open source, uh, meetups, community, that sort of stuff. I like people. I like talking to people. I like uh, how the community is uh, growing and helpful. Um, I teach high school uh, once a week, which is fun. Uh, mostly in the mentorship role in the last uh, two years since COVID and since I became a father. Uh, that's it, I think. What are you teaching? Uh, mostly, usually C++. Okay. This year I have a very, very uh, cool team who are uh, writing a kernel. And they got a lot, like a, a operating system from scratch, and they got a lot further uh, than the previous years. So that's really cool. I've been... Uh, Trying to remember a bunch of operating system concepts I haven't touched in a few years, like uh, what's a GDT and uh, a bunch of uh, operating system internals. Uh, and it's nice because it's forced me, it's forcing me to touch a bunch of material I uh, I haven't looked into since like 2010. Yeah. Uh, I'm also teaching another uh, team uh, that are doing a torque loan, which is also nice because it's forcing me to like read how the how like onion routing works, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. But usually just C++. All right, nice. So thank you for your introduction. Um, and today you're here with me and we're going to be talking about open source. Um, now, Benjamin, you have been active, uh, right, on open source project uh, also for quite a while. You, uh, I heard also some good stuff uh, about you and Node.js. Um, maybe you can ex- uh, a little bit, how are you related to the Node.js uh, community? Uh, so, so the, the community, like my relation to the Node.js community is like I'm a member, uh, like like many, many other people. I also help run some stuff like the Node.js Israel group, and uh, I help with like a bunch of conferences and meetups and, and such. Uh, my relationship to the project is I'm a member. Uh, in more specifically, uh, I have a bunch of, uh, of roles. Uh, the primary two, I guess, today are I am a collaborator, which means I'm one of the people who writes and reviews code in the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm also a moderator, which means I'm one of the people who gets shouted at a lot uh, when people are unhappy uh, with the project not letting them uh, abuse uh, other project members. Yeah. Uh, that's primarily, I've been doing it for a few years now. I think I've been a collaborator for like six, seven, six years now. And I've been a moderator for like, uh, three, three, maybe four. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So it's a, it's a great project. Uh, yeah. 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just uh, curious because I see that you are then are quite active in the open source community. And uh, of course, this is also why I invited you uh, to talk to me about today about this topic. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty nice. And yeah, Node.js was just one of those open source projects, right, that you were probably contributing to. And probably there are a bunch of other ones. But before yeah. we uh, dive into to that, I would like to start with, um, you know, let's talk about uh, what is actually open source? Right. So, so there are several definitions. I think the like the, the simplest one is uh, I can I have access to the source code. Uh, I have a license, a permissive license to uh, edit the source code and redistribute it myself. Whether it is whether it is something like GPL where I redistribute the code and the binary, or something like MIT where I can do whatever I want with it as long as I give attribution, basically. Uh, and like th that's the dry uh, definition. And open source has existed for a long, long time, like uh, tens of years. Um, and on the other hand, there is the community aspect. Like the reason I do open source isn't, I guess it's kind of ideological because I really do believe in all the, uh, you should have ownership over the code you run. Mm -hmm. And I try to run as much, uh, as, mu as much free code as I can, but I, I'm not very good at it. I moved in the last few years from running on the Arc Linux to running on the Mac OS, which is very, very proprietary and closed source uh, compared yeah. uh, compared to Arc. Uh, but I really, really enjoy the community aspect of open source, the fact that you get to learn a lot uh, from other people, the fact you get to interact with other people, uh, the fact that it, it expands our professional network significantly. It lets us uh, uh, talk to people who are not just like really good programmers, but they have been, they have been through a lot in the industry, uh, so they can give you a lot of help and tips on like uh, interpersonal stuff mm -hmm. how do you manage with like all the workload and that it's okay to take time for yourself and uh, self-care that, that, that sort of thing so that, that's the bit i've I, i've like um i think i was just attracted to open source because i i was a user of these projects and like i ran into bugs or in most cases i just didn't understand them well enough so i thought i ran into bugs mm. and like i got involved with the people in the community initially through like uh question and answer sites like stack overflow but eventually through uh github and node.js and like other uh, similar projects right but it's all like an international story it's all people like the way i got into node.js is that in 2013 around that time uh i was a member in the stack overflow chat we used to talk a lot about like javascript and we used to find these weird edge cases and uh it was fun mm. and i met this this guy there called petka from finland and I ended up flying to Finland uh, for a month for work. Uh, and we just drank a beer and talked about uh, about stuff. Mm -hmm. And one day he was telling me, hey, promises are, uh, are really slow. It's a really good concept, but they're slow. And I was like, uh, promises suck. No one's going to ever use them I, because I didn't understand them at the time. It was like 2013. Uh, and he was like, no, no, it can be fast. It can be good. And like one time he came after I was uh, kind of drunk. And he was like, hey, this is Bluebird. It's a new promise library I, I worked on. And that's how I got involved in Bluebird. And then I got involved in Node through that uh, because Node was really against adding support for promises at some point in, in history. Mm. And I was, of course, after I, I got involved with Bluebird, I, I was all in the promises camp. And there was a bunch of people who really helped me there and like... Uh, and showed me a lot of uh, a lot of constructive ways to interact and contribute. Okay. Um, 
Dominic is like uh, Dominic and Petka and Forbes and uh, like a bunch of and and Sion and like a, a, a bunch of a bunch of uh, a bunch of people there. And uh, eventually, I got involved in Node because I was annoyed. Node promises support was so it was so bad. Mm. And Node was undergoing a fork in 2015. It was called IOJS. Way way like ancient history at this point. And uh, I got involved because I like I started asking uh, the same thing in in Node and IO. And the IO people were nice and they were listening when we were having the dialogue. Uh, so it was a lot easier to contribute because they, they didn't just shut me down. They were willing to hear me out and try to like understand what's the need. Right. And eventually a lot of really good promise stuff uh, got made it into Node. And of course, promises are like a first class API now today. And um, like in case anyone doesn't, you should use them for uh, like async actions whenever possible. <laughs> uh, so... So I, I, I want to say that it was a conscious choice where I wanted to get better at something. So I got involved in Node. But really, I was super excited to be able to interact with a project like Node.js. Yeah. Yeah, that helped me so much in my life. Uh, and it was all about people, all about like talking to people and uh, like figuring out how, how to constructively contribute. Right. So if you're thinking about what is open source, to just summarize what you were just saying, uh, to use open source is, is a code that is basically owned uh, by the people for the people, kind of like the democracy. Uh, what is democracy uh, thing? <laughs> Yeah, so so I, I don't know if open source democratizes because like there is a lot of abuse in in open source in uh, like big projects where a big company takes a small project and appropriates it and like makes a bunch of money off it without contributing back. So yeah. it's not all sunshine and roses. Of course, but I think I think the part I benefited the most from uh, was like the the community aspect, the fact that uh, yeah. even though like dryly it's uh, it's just like a code that's that's open, like uh, free is in free beer and uh, like it's free speech and not free beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, like, I really enjoyed the act, the almost unlimited access to, uh, like smarter people, uh, who helped me a bunch. So what is open source community? That is basically what yeah. we're getting at, uh, at, right? Yes. Yes. So. I don't want to sound too cliche because it's very easy to just say it's the people, it's the community, people over technology, that sort of stuff. Right. But it's kind of true, you know, like the, the part that benefited me the most in Node, it wasn't some innovation in the code that I found. Like the, the, the code in Node uh, sounds complicated, but most of it, other than the parts, like no one has idea how, how they work. Like for the most of the code is very, uh, is very clear, very like nothing uh, in the code base is above uh, like a bachelor degree in computer science. And like the vast majority is way, way below. The part that I benefited from the, like the most is the people. It's, it's, it's really getting to interact with people and yeah. getting to learn from The people. feedback that they gave you um, and the contribution that you were making there. But, um, you know, if we take a step back now from that, uh, what can we now, you know, say a bit more what is open source then being used for? What kind of uh, cases do we see that, um, you know, because when we said now what is open source, we gave it the definition, it's a community, it means that when you contribute to a code, uh, you know, you're the one who is owning it, depends on the licenses, and we can also talk about licenses later on, because they're, you know, different kind of type of licenses, um, you know, mm-hmm. um, but then let's, you know, start there, like, like completely beginning, what is then open source being used for? So, like, if this was a call uh, 20 years ago, 
open source was like innovative uh, and like not many people used it for stuff and most code was proprietary and the big player that was Microsoft back then was very much against it. Uh, there was a famous miserable quote by Steve Ballmer that compared open source to cancer. Uh, obviously all that changed many years ago. Yeah. Uh, today, open source is everywhere. So it's, it's kind of hard to answer where is open source used. I am confident that uh, in this Zoom call uh, or like in this interview, there is a bunch of open source used. We are using open source right now when we're talking. The computer is built on mostly open source code. Uh, phones use it. Uh, cameras use it, like everything. There is. I can't think of like a single device in my home that has a processor that doesn't use open source, which is like as pervasive as it is. Like from uh, SpaceX, uh, space rockets uh, to like submarines to airplanes. Uh, last last time I flew my airplane, wrote, like a Renault GS, that was kind of scary, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it's 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 really it's really everywhere. And I'm sure that if I go to the Zoom like about window, where I can see like I'll see a bunch of open source uh, licenses there. <laughs> So, you know, maybe to compare, uh, I'm just thinking out loud, is Wikipedia counts as open source? So that's a good question, I guess. Like the the software that Wikipedia runs, like MediaWiki, is open source. So if you want to run your own Wikipedia, if you want to run your own uh, version of it, it's it's open source. You, You can do that. Wikipedia itself has a very interesting and like difficult governance process because they're solving a very hard problem. Like in Node that the, in, in open source in general, the hard part is the arguments. Managing conflict is hard. It's harder when it's not in person. It's harder when there is a lot of cultural background, like people from different countries mm. like use different terminology. You know, like you are in the Netherlands, that's very different culturally from, for example, Japan. Right. Uh, and and there's uh, like a lot of a lot of factors that make this uh, ver- like to make make managing conflicts uh, very difficult and conflicts are very important to have because when there's disagreements you really want to hash them out. Uh, Wikipedia are doing the impossible because they have like literally every every topic that like people disagree about is on Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, whether like everything political, everything on the news, everything that has different versions. Yeah. And they somehow have to get people from opposing viewpoints to manage that. And that's extremely difficult. Uh, so they're solving a similar but much harder interpersonal problem. And I applaud them from it. Wikipedia is a treasure. It has evolved humanity in a way. Uh, I am a huge fan and I'm very thankful for all the people who are doing the thankless uh, behind the scenes work uh, of uh, like uh, editing all the uh, like the bad stuff out and like moderating it because moderating is hard yeah for and moderating sure. uh, something like wikipedia is almost impossible now the content in wikipedia isn't open source as far as i know it, it may be like I'm, I'm not sure what the license is but uh, like I, I don't think i don't think the content itself like if you want to maybe it is like I, I'm not sure what the what the license is for the content. I've never tried to uh, like clone Wikipedia or something. So the, it highly depends on the on the um, on the licenses that they they have. You're saying uh, now I hear you, but you know when I'm thinking about Wikipedia, uh, you now could go to Wikipedia and put there your own content. Like you have a definition, you can even create a definition about yourself. Like uh, you know, let's put Daniel Frey myself on Wikipedia um, and you can write a bunch of things about yourself um, and then it will go to maybe a certain uh, degree of moderation but you know you could write your own bi- bibliography there now 
then you know you could still somebody else could come you know and contribute to the same thing to open source but you know here we're talking about open source in a different form because open source in a weird you know as developers we're used to talk about open source as software as as code right we have for example <laughs> linux open source we can contribute to that and that is programming but here we're talking about now even a higher level and maybe level that you know not developers will understand maybe easier is like website like wikipedia now you know wikipedia open source again we're when we said open source it's about the community we said what is what is open source is also that you when you contribute you are you're basically owning still you know depending on the license as well also the code or or whatever you're writing um so it just kind of still looks in the middle then you know even if wikipedia maybe has a different uh, kind of license which we don't know so, so, so Wikipedia is better and like harder than open source. The, the problem they're solving is strictly harder. When I have an open source project, I can sell it to make money. That's fine. Like we don't sell Node.js. It's owned by the community and the foundation um, and such. But if I want to like uh, create a version of Node.js and sell it, I'm allowed to do that. And I, I, I have to give attribution to Node.js, but I don't have to share my modifications or my code. And as you see, like companies like Amazon or, or Microsoft, like they sell Node.js hosting and they like that that's right. allowed and that's fine. Like also they have a lot more control over like what goes in and uh, like they can be very creative in ways to to monetize to make money of it. And like open source doesn't mean it's 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 free as in like free beer. It's free as in free speech. I am like people make money off open source all the time and that's a good thing. You want people to have an incentive uh, other than like ideology. Uh, to contribute at a high capacity. Uh, just volunteers is, is hard. It's possible, but it's hard. Uh, Wikipedia have a harder problems. They don't show ads and they don't pay like the like the editors and it's very hard. Like let's say you're an OJS contributor, it's gonna be easier to find a job uh, like as a developer just because you are involved in, in some open source project. In Wikipedia, it's it's much harder. Like I have a lot of respect, as you can hear, uh, like for these people who are doing like a harder job than I am, uh, you know, getting less credits, uh, like than uh, than open source developers typically do. Yeah, uh, huge amounts of respect and uh, like appreciation. Yeah, likewise here. I think that's uh, indeed uh, maybe an underrated topic uh, uh, about that. But, um, you know, actually, when you mentioned, like uh, you said, Wikipedia is trying to solve a different kind of a problem. Now, you know, my next question was actually uh, is why do we need open source? But maybe I can uh, rephrase it and say, what problem does open source solves actually? So there are like several different, very, very different problems. One of them is strictly ideological. Uh, it's my computer. I want to control whatever runs on it. I don't want uh, third parties to spy on me. I don't want them to lock me out of my own system. I don't want them to control the way I interact with my products. I want to be able to repair it. I want to be able to augment it. Uh, and so I want to own the software. I uh, to truly own the software that I am uh, using. Uh, and that gives me power. It gives me power to audit that I am uh, like using it in a way that I feel comfortable with, that I am sharing the information I feel comfortable 
comfortable with and, and so forth. And I think a lot of the origin of open source was, was like, I think about half uh, was that, was that ideological camp that wanted to, to own what they're using and not be locked out. Uh, like, let's say you're using uh, um, Mac, like a Mac OS, like I am right now. Yeah. Apple can lock you out. Apple can decide they don't like your Apple ID and they can lock you out. Or can they decide not to sell you the software or to uh, do something nefarious with the software, like give your data. Yeah. Uh, open source is a protection against that. It's like freedom of speech in a way. It gives you the, the ability to, to fight uh, very big players uh, in, in controlling your own information. That's a big part of it. The other big part of it is that the fact open source is free is a huge equalizer. It means that people who can't afford expensive development tools, which were very common, by the way, at a certain point in time, like Visual Studio, selling Visual Studio, and I'm, of course, giving Microsoft examples because I work for there, so I feel comfortable ripping on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also true for uh, for other companies. Visual Studio used to be a very expensive product for a while. It used to cost, I think, $1,000 or something like that. Uh, and for a while, you could either use uh, an IIS also cost money, like the, the server, because uh, it ran on, on software that cost money. And you could either use uh, IIS and Visual Studio, both of which cost uh, cost money, uh, which maybe you don't have. Maybe you're just starting out or you're a small, very small company. Or you could use PHP, which was free, and ran on Linux, which was free. And instead of spending, maybe instead of spending like $1,000 on your development environment and then like another $1,000 on hosting a year, mm. uh, you'd spend nothing on your hosting environment and like $5 on your hosting a year or like 100 a tenth. And that gives people who, who like traditionally didn't have um, like access to like development tools and servers, access to development tools and servers. And the open source community, because like they, they, they like a bunch of them are ideological people, they also write really good documentation. So they spend a lot of time like making sure that people can onboard. So like a lot of people can get started with coding, even if they have like if they even if they're underprivileged, even if they don't have a lot of chances in life. And, and like uh, some of them, not many, not a lot. Uh, it's it's worth saying like it's it's not reasonable to expect people to pick up like a profession on their own and like be created it. Uh, but but some people uh, were very motivated and like open source gave them the opportunity they needed to pull themselves outside like out of a life of poverty and uh, and success. Uh, like of course in their point of view and that's that's very empowering it, it, it's it's great I, I don't know like if you told someone like 50 years ago hey uh, we have this profession you can make a distant like a living doing it and you, you all you need to do is spend a few months uh, like learning it that that's great that's like a very big equalizer it doesn't matter if you're in India or you're in Pakistan or you're in Nepal or you're in the United States or you're in Chile uh, you can still uh, code. You can still write uh, write code. And Microsoft was founded on the idea of let's put a computer in every home. So it was also founded by ideological people, but it, it was never like uh, let's put a computer like a computer in every home for free, or or let's make it as cheap as possible so people can. Uh, um, like participate uh, necessarily. So that's it's also like a very, very big equalizer in terms of uh, giving people access to technology and software. You don't have to be rich to use the tools, uh, which is quite a new concept in many industries. If you want to buy the law book, like the like standard standards, it can be very expensive and doing it all in the open, uh, like really, really boosts uh, innovation and uh, like encourages people to collaborate and participate. Uh, another thing is, is the community building. 
that's uh, that's the third aspect. The fact that a bunch of people get together and do something ideological, it helps other people, uh, is very empowering. It builds a community. That's why, uh, like my wife does sales operations. She has zero. There are zero sales operations meetups and conferences in Israel. Uh, I don't think there is like a podcast or like uh, all the material costs money. Coding, we have an amazing community, and and like uh, there's podcasts, there is uh, conferences, there is talks, and a bunch of it, and, and like a bunch of it is is free and like accessible to the community, and a lot of people help each other, and that that's that's really great. That's something I, a bunch of people helped me when I was starting, and I'm tr- like uh, trying to pass it on as much as I can to to other people. But I'm thankful to be a part of it, and I think open source is a big part of enabling this sort of uh, um, community. That's uh, that's great because uh, you know I was also thinking about it um, lately myself about uh, of course open source and what benefit does it give and I think uh, you know just again to summarize what you were saying the it it, it gives it solves a financial problem it's also solved connecting people between each other to work towards the same goal um, and also as a, maybe as a side effect of you know having you know people gathering for free f- to do something to contribute. You you know, at some point it's for free, maybe at some other point you'll be rewarded for it, right? Uh, but let's just mm-hmm. think about that. And then the side effect of that, it's connecting people together um, to then, you know, for example, let's do a meetup about Node.js because it's an open source mm-hmm. uh, thing. And then all the people that contribute to to Node.js or use Node.js and know that it's an open source project will want to then come to that meetup. And 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 and, and there is actually like really big event like in Israel that I know, Node.js Israel, that, you know, like thousands of people are joining to those things and that in my opinion this is kind of a side effect right because then you know more and more people uh want to join to that and be part of it um which is amazing in my opinion and it is so that's really good so you know now that we cleared out then why uh, or what problem does it solve um maybe we can we can start thinking more about now as a developer because this is a podcast for developers right um Mm -hmm. why should a developer contribute to an open source project i i I think that's a good question Uh, i don't know if i'm going to surprise you but a developer shouldn't necessarily contribute to an open source project you really like if you're a developer at home listening to this you really don't have to do open source don't be pressured into it don't let people tell you you are a bad developer because you don't do open source or you don't uh, speak up at meetups or you don't have a lot of side projects. Like you, if you do your job and you do it uh, like reasonably well, and then you go at home and you really like playing soccer or you really like gardening or working out or playing D&D or like any, any one of those things, that's totally fine. Like don't let anyone ever shame you uh, for like having other hobbies or not coding at home. Uh, it doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you a worse person. Uh, you are who you are. You are bigger than your actions and your thoughts. Uh, don't let people like we, we have a culture problem in the industry where we keep telling people how easy coding it is and, and like how much they need to have side projects and, and that sort of thing. Uh, you yeah. really don't like uh, like the, the first priority is self-care and like making sure uh, uh, you're working towards liking yourself and like living a life you you like will be happy with 20 years from now as, as much as you are able. Like I get some people aren't as fortunate to be able to, to do that. So that, uh, that makes me sad. Uh, now you do benefit a lot from open source, right? So the fact that you don't have to do it is, is one thing. 
but I think like the reason a lot of people got into coding in the first place is because building stuff is amazing and cool. Like the fact that you get to write something and then see it come to life and just like you created it is 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 amazing. It's it's a feeling that you and it's instant. Like you can build something for twenty minutes and then it's ready and it works. And that's that's a very like gratifying feeling, uh, which is why a lot of us got into coding. It's it's amazing. I haven't like experienced it other than physically building stuff uh, anywhere else uh, anywhere else in my life, and I really like it. So one of the things you get to do when you do open source is you get to experience that feeling and be useful to people at the same time. So you get to build stuff uh, and you get to be like contribute uh, to the world in some small, uh, in small insignificant way, uh, this initially, uh, which is cool. Just for that, just if you, if you want to sit down at home and write an open source project all by yourself, don't show anyone, don't tell anyone, uh, put it on GitHub or like GitLab or whatever, and, and like, just don't show anyone, that's totally fine. That's, you still benefit uh, from like having that experience. The other thing you get from open source, which is really, really important, is access to uh, smart, uh, really smart developers. Now, when I say smart, I don't just mean they're really good at coding. I also mean they're very experienced at like being a developer. So you get to pick up a lot of stuff uh, regarding uh, task management and like self-care. And like you talk to them about like what they do with their life and what's working out for them and what isn't working out for them uh, and such as developers. So you get to learn that a lot of uh, like a lot of advice, like get to learn a lot from uh, like other developers regarding both professional technical aspects and both uh, like self-care and interpersonal stuff. Uh, I think one of the most useful things I did in OJS is I, I, I did several like trainings and courses in like interacting with people and getting to uh, like communicate better and that sort of stuff. Uh, of course, you get to like the privilege to decide you want to like uh, focus on a really, really small specific uh, area, which uh, gives you a lot of like uh, depth knowledge in that specific area, which is really great. Uh, it's a privilege you get in very little, like very few times in a professional environment. Uh, some developers do, some developers don't. Uh, so that's a really nice thing. And you always have subject matter experts to talk to uh, about it, uh, or at least usually if the project isn't abandoned or something. Uh, and that's also uh, really, really nice. So I guess uh, professional development, uh, like you get to see a lot of code, write code, which always improves you. Uh, personal development, uh, you get to learn from people how to be a better developer, uh, if you listen. Uh, interpersonal development, uh, like interactions, communication and such. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of misconceptions. Like one of the things that uh, people in Israel have a very hard time with is diversity. People in Israel think diversity is an American thing. They use the word political correctness a lot. Uh, let me tell you something. That's that's bullcrap, right? Diversity in open source is really important. A lot of people who contribute to open source wouldn't if, it, if uh, Node didn't care uh, as much about diversity. Uh, Node in particular and many other projects I'm involved with have benefited greatly uh, from like uh, taking an active effort to create uh, like to create a diverse and inclusive environment, and that's something I would have a hard time believing if I hadn't experienced it firsthand. So uh, you also get to learn these sort of life lessons. Uh, another big thing 
I don't know if it's directly tied to like why open source is that the industry, like I don't know how the industry in the Netherlands or in the States is because I haven't experienced it like enough personally to have a strong opinion. Mm -hmm. The industry in Israel is kind of poison. It uh, keeps telling people that development is super easy. You can take it up in like a weekend and like uh, make a million bucks uh, and get a free Tesla uh, after a month of like uh, learning, doing a free code camp. Uh, they sell you lies. They tell you how easy it is. And then like they shame you uh, when you figure out that it's hard because coding is hard. Writing code is hard. And then like after you picked up coding, uh, they will tell you the technology you're using, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Uh, it's deprecated. It's going to be replaced and you're going to be fired. You're using React. Oh, React is ancient. Uh, it's going to be replaced by Vue. You're using Vue. Oh, Vue is ancient. It's going to be replaced by Svelte. You're using Angular. How do you still have a job? It, it's it's these sort of really toxic uh, comments that make no sense, right? People I don't think it's only in Israel. Angular. I've been hearing a lot of people in the Netherlands uh, have the same fears and I think it's just around the community. Yeah, I, I, I think like the reason people are, are, are saying these sort of things is fear. Because yeah. like, why would someone care if you're using Angular? Like you're using Angular uh, or you're using PHP, you're happy with PHP, it's doing great for you. Great. Like we can talk about technical aspects of like what, what has a better uh, memory model or what has a better request response model or whatever, but you're doing it, uh, you're happy. Uh, everything is great. Someone comes along, tells you whatever you're using is bad and you should feel bad for using it and you're not a real developer and uh, whatever. And that causes a tremendous amount of imposter syndrome and like very negative uh, interactions and communication in our community. Right. And, and that's awful. That's that's like truly awful. It, it means that a lot of people get uh, shamed constantly. And it means that we have, uh, like I have imposter syndrome. Uh, most of the people I have uh, sent the imposter syndrome test from the imposter syndrome uh, paper have imposter syndrome i sent a bunch of non-programmer friends uh like the the same questions from the same original imposter syndrome paper uh and none of them have imposter syndrome so my very anecdotal non-scientific experience is that uh, imposter syndrome is extremely prevalent in our industry because we're constantly being told uh we are fakes and we're constantly giving being given misinformation when i started coding i was told javascript isn't a real programming language i should be a real programmer so obviously i was a kid i went to do c I didn't understand anything. Uh, I wrote some barely acceptable code, and then I was told it was not really programming because I was not using assembly, uh, and I should uh, like leave programming, programming to the real programmers. We have a tremendous amount of gatekeeping. We have a tremendous amount of fear. Uh, now, that's just a, like at least here, that's just the facts. Like people are are very insecure. Now I'm very insecure. Like the positive test also reflects that. I'm I'm very conscious that I can be very insecure about stuff. Open source gives us access to other developers, uh, and they're usually more experienced at uh, combating this sort of fear, this sort of like a uh, poisonous attitude. It's people who have been through stuff often and like they have very little tolerance uh, to uh, uh, like the sort of toxic attitude uh, certain people have, uh, which is great because it, uh, it creates uh, like a better space to communicate. Right. Uh, and 
and, and they're good at guiding us, like guiding people. Like you, you have a uh, process syndrome, maybe pick up meditation, maybe pick up like working out twice a week. And like those things seem unrelated, but they're scientifically proven to help. Uh, they're good at figuring out why, uh, why like uh, burnout, like why you're going to go through burnout and tell you, hey, uh, like the stuff you've been telling me you've been working on, that's really stressful. Like maybe take a two week vacation. Uh, I know you can't see it, but I've, I've been in a similar situation, like consider it. And, and where can you find those really people helpful. so you can find them in open source? You can find them in open source. They're like real people in projects. It's 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 like the examples I have are from Bluebird, from Node, uh, and from a few other libraries. But it's like the, the people. In, how do we get into it? Yeah, how do you how do you start and uh, you know to, to to get into that communities or start your own project? So, like the thing people do that kind of uh, is is almost never a good idea. I've seen it done successfully a few times, but like ninety eight percent of times, uh, like people make several mistakes. And the two biggest ones is they just go to the repo, check out the code, and they assume they understand it. They try to figure it out uh, and open a pull request. Uh, now, think about it from a like new job perspective. You start a new job as a developer, and like people help you pick up the code, like get better. Uh, you're not expected to be productive immediately, but some of people, some people like assume that like uh, everyone that like checks out an open source repo is, is going to be either good at it or terrible at it. Uh, so they check out the code. Uh, they look for an open issue. Now I'll give you a tip. Issues that have been open for over a week are hard. Like no one leaves a good and, and like the, the, the most dangerous thing in the world is the good first issue label in GitHub because none of them are good first issues usually. Yeah. Everything that has been a good first issue for like more than a week is not a good first issue. Uh, so so don't fall in the trap. The other thing is they they, they, they they check out the code, they open a pull request, it doesn't get merged in, uh, which is fine. Like I think maybe one of four pull requests I open to something like Node uh, gets merged in because it's a big project with many considerations. Uh, and then they assume they're terrible at it because they're, they're like their first attempt wasn't great. Uh, and I've seen this happen time and time again. It's, it's, it's like a very common trap to fall into. Right. Uh, my advice is like, don't do that. Uh, remember that open source involves uh, people and interactions, uh, which means A, like the people you're going to talk to aren't going to be perfect. A lot of them are not going to know uh, or understand you straight away. And B, if you want to contribute to a project, just talk to people. Find someone from the project. Uh, like start with a project you already use. So uh, if you are a, like Node.js developer, uh, maybe that's uh, like a testing library you use or like a virtual library you use or like whatever. Find people who work on it and then just like send them a message. You can always send a message. There is always like a Discord or like an email or whatever. Just send it an email. Hey, uh, I want to contribute uh, to uh, yada yada. And that needs to, uh, two things in that email. First, a time commitment. Hey, I got two hours per week for the next seven weeks to contribute to Node.js. How do I get started? What do I work on? Uh, and, uh, and other than time commitment, what you already know. Hey, I've been doing JavaScript for two years. Uh, I'm not uh, like an expert, but I am decent. Uh, I have experience with uh, like uh, React and like Node.js. How do I get started with the project? I have seven uh, seven weeks to give, uh, two hours each week. That, that those are the best emails because you can follow up easily with instructions uh, as a contributor. Uh, people like talking about like projects they're involved in. They like uh, people who come in and contribute. Uh, so so like the way I would 
uh, recommend anyone to uh, contribute to those projects is to just talk to the people involved in the project and uh, like ask. Uh, don't assume you're terrible because you tried once and didn't succeed. I think my eighth or maybe tenth pull request got in uh, in Node.js, and still I have many ones I opened and then closed because they didn't make it in because uh, they weren't good enough or I didn't understand the problem well enough, uh, etc. Uh, don't like whenever you see good first issue, just run away. Don't don't do it. And please, 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 uh, Hacktoberfest creates a huge, it's a nice idea. In practice, it creates a huge amount of spam for projects. Uh, I would strongly recommend not contributing through Hacktoberfest. Just wait for the 1st of November uh, when, when it's done and uh, open a pull request then because people are like on edge. People in projects are really on edge uh, during that month. During the month of October, do not submit pull requests. That's what you're trying to say. Uh, now, is that what I'm trying to say? That's a, that's a bad advice. Uh, there is a, this event every year that tries to encourage uh, like open source contributions called Hacktoberfest. And it's a nice idea. The idea is you contribute to projects during that month and they send you like a t-shirt and like a thank you uh, from GitHub usually, or like from whoever is organizing, I'm not sure. In practice, what it created is people wanted a t-shirt. So they opened like tons of pull requests to projects mm. and it weren't meaningful. They just like changed the letter or uh, in, like in a non-meaningful way. And that created spam. Uh, so please don't do that. Remember, it's people on the other side. I think like the overarching message is that human stuff is hard. Uh, so try to think of like try to try empathy and to think that like there's people on the other side too. Gotcha. And that are happy to help you, but please respect like uh, the, the type of contributors that are like doing uh, usually thankless work uh, uh, to help you. So uh, like, just be thoughtful of your there. yeah of your, of your solution and if you really want to be participating don't just change one letter just just do it a bit more um thoughtful about what you're changing and and uh, yeah. give value right? and ask yeah yeah and ask just like like i don't know when i go to a new project let's say i want to contribute to rust like the language i wouldn't go to the rust repo and uh, and like start making changes i would take the rust repo i would clone it i would read the building instructions and get a copy locally then I would go to the Discord or Slack or whatever they use. Uh, I would uh, probably like a metrics or element or something that's uh, free. Uh, I would just find contributors and I would ask them, hey, I got that much time to give in, in like that many weeks. Uh, I have the code built and checked out. Uh, can you please guide me towards like meaningful use for contribution ideas I can uh, help with? So basically, you know, uh, because we still we still didn't talk about how to start your own open source, but if you are contributing to already an open source project, um, you know, mm -hmm. let me just, you know, summarize what you were saying. Again, you would uh, typically go, um, you know, clone the repository to your local machine. You would run it by the guides that you have the documentation already in the repository. Uh, join that the mm -hmm. Slack or Discord channel that, the, that, that open source community has. If they don't have Slack or something, maybe they have uh, Facebook groups. Just try to get in touch with people um, and then um, try to ask them, how do I contribute in a way that gives value? Um, you know, uh, you, you commit it to a certain time a week. I don't know if it's a smart thing because, you know, sometimes you have more time than certain, certain time don't. Um, so my question is, uh, and that's just a small question. Do you need to commit to a time slot when you are, you know, uh, talking to someone? I know it will show more, uh, probably that you're more serious, right? Um, if you so, say, so, 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 so you do it for yourself. You don't do it for them, right? They are, of course, uh, yeah. 
uh, when you contribute to open source, th there is a very high probability that just like when making a change in a new uh, work project you haven't uh, like worked on before, you're not gonna do great the first time. Right. And if you just like take the time to contribute once, or you don't set up a schedule, uh, like you might be successful, but there is a very good probability that you are not like uh, like I I wouldn't be successful. Maybe like maybe there are very smart developers who can like look at the code like a big code base they haven't seen and make meaningful contributions in like two hours and open a pull request and understand both like the culture of the project, the etiquette, the code, yeah. the standards and so on. I am not one of those people. Uh, so to not set myself up for disappointment, I set up uh, like a time allocation uh, where I know I will try several times until I succeed. Yeah. All right. I get you. So um, another question that comes up to my mind is, um, if you want to start an open source project, um, should you first have an experience with uh, contributing to open source, or can you just go ahead and start it, uh, start your own application, and 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 kind of say, okay, this is open source? Um, well, what, what's your headspace on that? It's it's like people. If you want to start like a meetup group or like a Facebook group or or even a podcast, you don't necessarily need uh, like uh, previous experience doing those things. But like you're probably better off if you have uh, experienced them or participated in them before. So it, it's possible to create an open source project without any like previous open source experience. Uh, but it's also possible to like. Uh, like you definitely benefit mostly from having the network of people that like you like and uh, and you can ask for help uh, yeah. if you already have projects in the past. But like there is no gate. Like you can just you walk in. Uh, like no one's gonna stop you if you want to create an open source project without contributing first. And it's it's actually like a lot easier because like like I I try to uh, um, to say the the like a lot of the challenges in open source and like life uh, our communication and, and like talking to other people and when you start your own open source project uh all you do is you take your code uh and you put it on github that's like the minimum or like uh, some doesn't have to be github but you put it on the internet uh, so other people can look at it and maybe contribute uh yeah that's a, that's a very low bar like i can take code I wrote yesterday, just put it there. And if it's okay, license-wise, that's fine. Right. Uh, contributing to existing open source projects is typically harder than uh, starting young. Uh, so I'm not sure it's like a meetup or podcast where it's, it's easier if you have experience. I think it's easier to start your own project, but growing your own project is very difficult if you don't have prior experience with, uh, it's very difficult regardless, but it's harder if you don't have prior experience contributing to other projects. I see. So when you want, when you think about scaling up, um, and, and actually making out of it a big community, perhaps you will need, you will need that experience from contributing to open source because then, you know, you know, you know what the rules they were using back then you have an idea of how strict you should be and maybe also you develop your own kind of thoughts about how strict do i want to be what kind of methodologies do i want to follow in my open source projects so learn from those experiences so you know from what i'm hearing to people out there that are listening to this and want to start their own open source project i would recommend to uh, start it but then also contribute to others so that you know uh, what kind of different uh, methodologies or you know mindsets you should follow um, so then you know what's your yeah. flavor and whatnot um, now you know we have also we spoke about a bit in a nutshell we said there is licenses maybe you can just tell me 
a really, f you know, not too long of a story, but maybe like the top uh, licenses that you know about and what do they mean? So that when you start your own open source project or contribute to one, you know, kind of what is the difference and stuff. So first of all, there is a body called the Free Software Foundation that contains a lot of information uh, accessible easily online uh, about licenses. There is also the Linux Foundation that contains both a course uh, for free. And, we'll build, uh, and I'll put the links uh, in the description uh, of this uh, podcast for sure for those. Great. Uh, so, 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 so basically, if you see code on the internet, uh, in order to use it or, or like general, it is, you need the license to use it. There is an owner. That's the person who owns the code, usually like the person who wrote the code or the employer. And, and like they're the owner of, like, of the code. They can license it to other parties. So for example, if I write a piece of code and put it on the internet, if I wrote all the code and it's open source, I can change the light, like I can relicense it in another license uh, to other people. Uh, however, usually in open source projects, uh, you don't uh, you do not do it this way. Uh, some do, it's called a contributor license agreement when you transfer ownership of the code contribute to the project uh, owner. Uh, but most projects like Node.js don't have uh, this sort of contributor license agreement and you just have a license to use the code. So uh, like there's a bunch of common licenses. I think the most famous one in open source is called the, the GNU GPL. Uh, which means that if you distribute the code, so if you distribute the software, you also have to distribute the code. That's basically what it means. So if I, uh, if uh, like I take uh, a Chrome for example, the Chrome has a bunch of bits that are uh, open source, like the browser uh, or Firefox. Uh, so if, if I want to redistribute Chrome, uh, like like Google does, uh, they have to redistribute the code. Uh, they can make contributing to the code very difficult, which uh, unfortunately, not, not, like some projects do. But if I distribute the code as a binary, I have to distribute. Uh, sorry, if I distribute a binary, I have to distribute the code and let people uh, like distribute their own. It's 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 called sticky. Uh, now there is a more modern version uh, of of the license, I think, uh, called AGPL with slight different limitations. But that's that's the gist. The gist is it's a it's a, an open source free license that requires me to redistribute the code. Another thing, uh, in, in like as a maintainer, I am not liable. If you take my code and like um, um, you blow up your house somehow, uh, you can sue me. You can sue me, but you won't win anything. Uh, and that's that's enforceable. That's a pretty common license. Uh, and, and many things are licensed GPL, like Linux. Um, another very common, uh, like two very common licenses, like, and I have no idea what the difference between them are uh, because I keep reading it and I keep forgetting, are MIT and BSD. The important thing about those licenses, those two licenses are like, uh, like the MIT license and the Berkeley license, are that they are uh, very permissive. They're open source licenses, just like GPL, uh, but they don't require the, uh, they're not sticky. It means it's, it's a lot easier to use GPL, like uh, MIT and BSD code inside other code. Uh, whereas in GPL, if I use it in the code and don't do it in a very particular way, I have to um, distribute my code as well, uh, like, the, like the code using it. And the, the other thing is that I don't have to, like if I, I can like take the code, build the binary and do whatever I want with it. Uh, I don't have to, I can make changes, I can create my own forks. Uh, the only thing I need to give is attribution and I still don't need uh, like, uh, uh, like I don't have liability. 
as the uh, author. Like if you use Node.js and I wrote a small part of Node.js, uh, you can sue me for uh, like a bug I caused so, in your software. So, uh, you know, I, I have a case scenario about the log4g, for example, uh, that is an open Log4G, source, yeah. that is an open source project. And, and you know, it, it was about micro, uh, Minecraft, I think that uh, th- there was a, like a certain security issue with, with that le- open source uh, project. Um, mm-hmm. And if you guys don't know about the log4g story, just Google it and we're not going to open it about it too much. But then they are, were they protected from, you know, suing because, you know, there was a, actually a security issue in their, uh, you know, project, um, which causes, mm-hmm. you know, caused a lot of other projects to have a lot of problems, but then they were protected because they're open source. So like all the license says is if, uh, so I'm not sure what Log4j uh, uses for a software license. I assume it's something free and permissive. Mm. Uh, the, the exploit uh, like was pretty old, like Log4Shell required you to uh, use something that people don't use uh, typically inside Log4j, just took some time to, to figure it out. And it was really a, a very high severity exploit, but if you take something for free, and then some someone figures like something wrong with it. You can sue the original person. Like in certain cases, you can. If you take food for free, for example, in certain countries, and like the food is bad, you can sue the person who gave you the food. Uh, the license protects you in a way. It, it says. Like if you use this code in your code, you 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 can't like I am not liable to like whatever happens to you. Uh, to a reasonable degree, if I put malicious code inside my open source code, you don't notice and then you use it, I am still liable because I was acting in like in, in bad faith. But typically, uh, and, uh, like the, in the log4j uh, case for sure, you can sue the log4j project for log4j. On, on the other hand, uh, there is a thing called responsible disclosure. Like uh, security in open source projects is, is really important. Uh, if you find a security uh, like uh, a problem in a project like Node.js, like uh, whether it's a vulnerability or just like a misunderstanding in how to use something, uh, please report it to the project. Uh, there is a bug bounty program. We will pay you uh, for finding uh, real real uh, security issues and people do get paid all the time. We have like a platform where you can report security issues. It's on the website and most big projects have it. If there is no responsible security uh, policy, you are still obligated to responsibly disclose a security vulnerability. So let's say you found a bug in log for uh, j if you publish it on the internet, like, hey, everyone, you can hack anyone using Log4j, which is everyone running Java, which is pretty much everyone, uh, you can go to jail, and rightfully so, right? You need to be responsible in how you disclose security vulnerabilities. There is a way to do it. Uh, I'm sure you can go on OWASP, uh, and they have a guide on responsible disclosure in general. Uh, if you're not sure, talk to the maintainer. All right, that's a good advice as well. So, uh you know, because I'm looking at the time, but I just want to ask one last question. Um, sure. it, when I publish now a project of myself in GitHub and it's public repository, does it already uh, falls to the label of open source? And second question, what kind of a license, is there a default license that you your code already has on GitHub once you published it and it's a public repository? So if I take a repo on GitHub, and I just create a new repo, it, it will ask me uh, if I want to add a license. If I say no, and like I, I create a repo without a license, 
no one has like the license to uh, use it. Uh, if you want to use that code, you have to talk to me and I have to give you an like, uh, individual license. Uh, like another thing I can do, and I shouldn't because I'm not a lawyer, is add my own uh, like special license that isn't exactly like MIT, BSD, or uh, JNU. And then a lawyer would have to decide whether or not it's an open source license. There was a famous case uh, in JS Hint, which was the, the precursor to, uh, J, like, to JS Lint, which was precursor to JS Hint, which was precursor to ES Lint, uh, which we still use today. Uh, in JS Lint, uh, Douglas Crockford, who was the author, gave a license uh, that said, uh, do no evil. Like, uh, you, you, are, you can use the software for anything you want, but you can't use it for evil. Uh, and then IBM sent him a letter saying, uh, hey, uh, we want to use this product and we're not going to use it for evil, but we are, we're not sure about like uh, all our customers. We can't uh, be sure none of them are going to use it for evil. So he gave them a special license. I hereby give IBM and their minions uh, access, like uh, permission to use uh, JSLint without any limitation. So it can be a funny story, but it can um, it, it's tricky. If you see an open source project in GitHub uh, and there is no license, you cannot use it and you can be uh, like litigated against if you do. So like uh, make sure that you, you have like uh, an appropriate license on the project before you use it. And where can you see that um, in, in, uh, in GitHub? I think they have a tab where it says, uh, uh, where it says it, or usually I know like some projects put it in their readme uh, file, but. So, so, so there is a visual indication in GitHub that says like whether like how a project is licensed. Mm. Uh, there is also a view license button, uh, which you can see. Uh, usually, uh, in big projects, the license is going to be big because projects have many dependencies that are licensed from uh, different people. Mm. Uh, they are themselves open source. Now, uh, usually, there is a license file called either license or license.md or license. Uh, the, like, uh, txt right and that just contains the license now the, the mit license is gonna it, it, it has a very specific uh, structure it's like the software is provided this is without warranty yeah the other uh you are allowed to uh, redistribute the software uh, to deal in the software without restriction including you know, no limitations on the right yeah. to use copy but th there's a very uh like a specific and common template for the MIT license, uh, which you should look for. If there is no license, it means you don't have a license to use the software, which means it, it, you, you need to acquire a license in order to uh, to build and use it. You don't have a license to build it, to like run it. You don't have a license to look at the code. Yeah. And if you look at the code of like a closed source license uh, software, uh, you can be sued even if you didn't use it in your code in certain cases because uh, let's say you are writing an image processing library and you looked at the image processing library's code uh, where it was a closed source or uh, like it was on the internet but without a license to uh, to distribute it or it was even like GPL, it was a permissive license but it was a specific type uh, and you want to release your code as MIT or use it in a closed source of the, like source of software uh, you are violating the license uh, because you are using them as a, like as a reference, and you need to be very careful. So, uh, like license is a serious and real thing, and that's why MIT is so great because it gives you permission to do pretty much everything as long as you give attribution.
All right. So that's it. <clears throat> I think that's about it. Um, thank you so much, uh, Benjamin, for joining me today. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was really nice. And I hope that our viewers have some values of, uh, about, you know, what's open source. And, you know, we spoke about, um, we started with what is uh, open source and then we continued to how is it being used? What is it good for? And what problem does it solve? Uh, I spoke a little bit about Wikipedia and uh, just overall, uh, it was really nice having you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time putting your thoughts in this um i appreciate it a lot and anything that you want to say to our audience who are listening today uh, if any of you wants to contribute to node.js uh you can find my email in the readme just send me an email uh, and we'll talk about it my advice is like uh, stands uh if you want to contribute to another project i'm involved with uh name i think like the, the main one because uh uh bluebird is is like help like hopefully dead uh is sign on if you want to contribute to sign on like the testing library also send me an email and i will help you uh get started thank you for listening to the daniel frey.me talks get access to previous episodes the transcript for today's show as well as other exclusive content at daniel frey.me